Less than a week away now from the 20th anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing. It's still the largest act of domestic terrorism our country has ever seen. At approximately 8.40 in the morning on April 19, 1995, a slow-moving rider truck was seen near the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City. A rider truck loaded with a diesel fuel and fertilizer bomb blew up next to the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building, cutting it in half. A hundred and sixty-eight people, including 19 children in its daycare center, died. There you can see as the building was just simply cut away by this huge explosion. Collapsed into a shifting house of cars. Pulling at the rubble, they sometimes wonder whether they're tugging the piece that holds it all up. The nationwide search for suspects in the Oklahoma City bombing. The plot was said to be an attempt to avenge the deaths of about 80 people in the government siege at the Branch Davidian compound in Waco, Texas, exactly two years earlier. A highway patrol officer pulled over Timothy McVeigh less than two hours after the bombing for a missing license plate. In 1997, McVeigh was found guilty on 11 federal counts of murder and conspiracy. He was sentenced to death and executed in 2001. How seriously do you take these domestic extremist views? Even more seriously than I did in 1995 because the internet is one reason is that those beliefs spread a lot easier and We've all heard about the algorithms that social media uses and so when somebody goes in and they search something they get they get further and further and they get hooked up with other people that believe the same way they do. And they can find out so much information online how they can do lone wolf attacks. So I think it's as dangerous as it ever has been. Wow. Today is May 16th, 2023. Perhaps in a six-pack episode 195. I'm joined by Gretchen of the OBDM podcast. We're here talking about the Oklahoma City bombing for part one in this series. It's a new life. This is a new live son of a bitch. If you are outside the metro area, you'd have to be well outside the metro area if you did not feel the blast that uh, occurred. This was just a few months ago. People running. Now confirmed uh, through federal authorities that a second bomb has been found inside that federal building in Oklahoma City. I just took a look down the street uh, at the Mara building again. I see another bomb truck going, so apparently they're going to try to get out that third bomb that's been talked about. Still a lot of activity around the Mara building. Uh, security concerns that another one still might go off. That's what everybody's worried about. That's the reason they have moved the media. Everyone's back. We want to update our audience that uh, the Justice Department is reporting that a second explosive device has been found in the AP Murrah uh, building in downtown Oklahoma City. Uh, Mike, you're still with us, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yeah. And I might tell you, in addition to that, that in fact, what we were told at the scene a few minutes ago was that, in fact, two different explosive devices were found in addition to the one that went off. So a total of three. A total said. of three. A third explosive that was found, and they are working on right now as we speak, I understand. Both the second and third explosives, if you can imagine this, were larger than the first. All right, Craig, I think uh, we told the whole story in that intro there, so we can go home now. Uh, Chris, all that information in that was uh, suspiciously uh, not what I've heard before. Where did you find all that stuff? That sounds like some sort of weird conspiracy. Uh, probably, yeah. And I think it's just as a general disclaimer, we should say that uh, no no government agency or any any 
employee of the federal government, living or dead, would ever be involved in such shenanigans, chicanery. Yeah, that's that's just ridiculous. <laughs> I love America. Um, um, I was gonna yeah. say I, I was I you know you, we're on audio only, so you can't see. I've got my uh, my Oklahoma City shirt on. Oh, it's a, it says uh, things are happening in Oklahoma City. It's really blowing up. Uh, oh wait, <laughs> it's all happening. Uh, Actually, yeah. though, I did notice I'm I've got my JFK Dealey Plaza coffee mug, and my other coffee mug over here says uh. Drink and fight the government. So, I'm weird. just assuming you don't have any of this actually, and it's just theater of the mind. That's hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I guess um, yeah. I don't know where to start with this whole can of worms. Uh, Sir West was the one that reached out and was like, "Hey, we should do an Oklahoma City episode." It's like, ah, that's one I haven't really delved into on the show yet. So yeah, and uh, unfortunately, he was he had some uh, family emergency come up, so he he will probably be joining us for part two, or at least joining me for part two next week. Not committing you to that, uh, but yeah, he'll he'll be here for that. And uh, I have a just a schmorkish board of clips and articles. Schmorkish board. A schmorkish, a schmorkish board. What the heck's going on around here? But yeah, ooh, that was a that was a good sip. That's a nice sounding sip. Do that again. You want another another live some live foley work here? Yeah. Ooh. Ugh. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, but uh, we'll probably do a good uh, hour and a half, two hours. Here. I can do I'm this thinking... voice, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be live here for the next two hours. Yeah, that um, that fired late, and uh, and yeah. So uh, I don't know where you want to start with this whole thing. I have a lot of clips, a lot of stuff we could get to. I guess I have PBS. They recently delved deep into this. I don't know if you've seen you need, the you PBS. Get medication for that? Oh, you, you have clips from PBS. PBS. Thought this was some sort of new disease. That uh, sounds like it, yeah. I got public broadcasting syndrome. Uh, I believe pu- everything public. I hear on, on public TV. Uh, I, do you, what's her name? Judy Woodrow? Judy. Judy Woodruff, yeah. Woodruff, yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I just... Let's go ahead and just start the show with uh, with PBS, if that's okay with you. I think that's a good because they just did a whole big in big retrospective, uh, retrograde, retrograde retrospective on, on Oklahoma's on Oklahoma City and how well you can probably guess who they're blaming it on. Um, yeah. uh, is it they're blaming it on Trump? Uh, shit. Yeah. Has, you has anyone it. managed to make that connection yet? I'm wondering. Yeah, I'm going to just skip to that clip. <laughs> just last month, with multiple indictments looming, former President Trump kicked off his campaign for 2024 oh, you're kidding me. in Waco during the 30th anniversary of the deadly Branch Davidian standoff. Now, just keep, just bear in mind that this is a PBS report or a retrospective report on on uh oklahoma city waco and ruby ridge specifically ruby or specifically oklahoma city bombing and they it doesn't take them long to wrap trump into the whole thing it's kind of incredible i was gonna say how did how did they get trump to like it, now they've got photos of him what throwing uh molotov cocktails at waco or something yeah maybe maybe just to give more context i should i should have started at the beginning but you're right they do they do bleed into trump let me just start uh yeah let's Let's get a backgrounder going. Yeah, let's go. Uh, let's see here. This is, yeah, this is. Uh, 
Today marks 28 years since the bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, which remains the largest act of homegrown terrorism in U.S. history. In the bomb's immediate <coughs> aftermath, early news reports suggested links to international terrorism, but the investigation quickly led back home to three American Army veterans, Terry Nichols, Michael Fortier, and Timothy McVeigh, who planned and carried out the attack. All by themselves. Following the Persian Gulf War and rejected by the special forces, McVeigh became disaffected, latching onto a growing pro-gun, anti-government ideology <gasps> that gained traction in the 1990s in the aftermath of federal law enforcement actions at Ruby Ridge, Idaho, and at the 1993 siege in Waco, Texas, where more than 70 died in a fire as federal agents moved on the heavily armed Branch Davidian religious cult. So they, they didn't really mention, uh, you know, that kids were involved in that. Yeah, they killed a bunch of women and children. Yeah, that. I guess the kids were heavily armed also. Well, 70? You know, they, were, they were heavily heavily armed adjacent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, I, it, it just, it really bothers me, all these reports that talk about Waco and don't mention that children were murdered. And that the fires were started by the ATF. Right. The three men were prosecuted, found guilty, and in 2001, McVeigh was executed. In the years immediately after the attack, federal law enforcement cracked down on American paramilitary extremist groups. But that focus didn't last, says Michael Jensen, a terrorism researcher at the University of Maryland. The series of arrests really dismantled the paramilitary movement, and it was on the run. It, it was on the ropes. And you can see this in the arrest data from the time period. But then 9-11 happened, <laughs> and all of the resources that were being dedicated to tackling the domestic extremist threat were diverted uh, to threats emanating from abroad. And this was a really critical moment in terms of the development of the contemporary anti-government movement in the United States because it gave it the space it needed to reorganize and to regroup, and I think most importantly, to identify new leaders. Jensen's new research shows a dramatic rise in this type of violence since the 1990s. From 1990 to 1994, there was an annual average of two attempted or completed mass casualty plots in America intended to kill or injure four or more victims. From 2017 to 2021, that grew to an average of 40 a year, with a high watermark in 2020. Most were planned or carried out by people. So it's planned or carried out, attempted or carried out. It's what was that last bitch you said about four attacks in 2020? Hang on. Four or more victims. From 2017 to 2021, that grew to an average of 40 a year, with a high watermark in 2020. Most were... Pl but see, the, she, has, she has that caveat in there where it's planned or carried out. So 40 yeah, a year... Yeah, and also any, anything with more than four people. I was like, it's, it's like their same definition of mass shooting. A mass shooting is now anything with more than like one person or maybe even zero people if two people thought about it sort of thing. Right. And how many of those so, planned attempts were just uh, honeypot operations like FBI stuff? Well, yeah. And then we get into that, the the old six week cycle with the, you know, how many were the FBI involved with trying to putting somebody up to go do something and then jumping on them and say we did it. Yeah. That's what I'm imagining. Most of this is attempted or carried out makes it sound like 
those a lot of those were real plots. Um, oh, I, I'm sure. saved or created. I watermark in 2020. Most were planned or carried out by people associated with right-wing and anti-government groups and movements, the same ideology that propelled McVeigh. Now we're caught up. What do you, what do you want to bet in general they're counting a lot of the stuff during the 2020 Summer of Love to get that high number? Ooh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Because they're saying most they, are tied I mean, to right-wing. Right, and people just ignore all that stuff that went on in 2020. That's fine. They were protesting stuff, so let them burn crap down. Yeah, burn it down the house, to quote Talking Heads. Now, that clip, right where she ended, leads us directly into where we first picked up. Uh, I titled this clip, Oh, and also Trump, PBS. So they ended with a comment about... McVeigh um, and terrorism on the uptick, domestic terrorism. Yeah, the... the, uh, what they say, um, conservative right-wing terrorism, and then they're going to roll right into Trump. Exactly. And they kind of tied Connected it in with, it. notice, notice she, uh, Judy said, and there was a sharp uptick in 2020. But but I will point out that one of the, the, the stats that she quoted was from, to said and t- up to 2021. So does that mean if the high watermark was in 2020, we're on a downslide, so we're doing okay? Hey, that's a good, yeah, I love your optimism there. <laughs> Just last month, with multiple indictments looming, former President Trump kicked off his campaign for 2024 in Waco during the 30th anniversary of the deadly Branch Davidian standoff. The N-word, you know what the N-word is? Trump didn't mention the siege, but opened the event with a version of the national anthem sung by the J-6 prison choir, a group of men in prison for their role in the January 6th attack. And the former president continued to put forward anti-government conspiracy theories. The abuses of power that we're currently witnessing at all levels of government will go down as among the most shameful, corrupt, and depraved chapters in all of American history. It's happening right before your eyes. Just doing it in Waco is is a signal to some people on the far-right extremists. Dog whistle. Retired civil servant Dennis Purifoy. I think it's a tragedy what happened in Waco. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but it's also evident to anybody that knows anything about Timothy McVeigh and his motivations. One of the reasons he, he did what he did in Oklahoma City was because of what happened in Waco. And so for Trump to, to not acknowledge that in any way or disavow it, it was disgusting to me. Still is. Disgusting. Ugh. So are they implying that there's fine people in, in Waco? Um, I, it seemed like they were implying the opposite. You're not supposed to have any sympathy for him or even visit there for a rally, apparently. You notice they're like, right, so even he, though he did, Trump didn't, didn't even out. mention the Waco siege, he still did a rally in Waco. That's the only still thing. Still in Waco nearby at yeah. the site of the siege yeah. with a big poster behind him that he set on fire. Yeah, crazy. Also, I like that their example of that he was still spouting anti-government conspiracy theories. And then, of course, their quote from him is, you know, all these abuses of power you're seeing are the, some of the worst things that have, you know, that will go down in history. Some of the worst, you know, things in the, in, in, in the history of the country. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a conspiracy theory. <laughs> well, that's PBS for you. So I got more PBS, but I, I can only do so much. You have to come back to that and do it in chunks, you know, <laughs> chunks little, little bits and pieces. Too much PBS. Uh, you end up suffering from PBS. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's like IBS or PMS or something. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sure I can come up with a name. I'm going to think about it on the fly, but yeah. Uh, 
I was I was thinking it's got poop and shit. You just got to think of something the B could be on. You I was going to say something like uh, putrid belief syndrome or something like that. But <laughs> public broadcasting sickness. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I got. Um, I don't I, I, like. There was all the. There's. Should we just give like a? I guess give me your general, not your take on what exactly happened or who carried out the thing. But you were a lot. You were born when this happened. I was not. So I was maybe born. I was in. Uh, see, April of 95, I was uh senior in high school on my way to college. Okay, yeah. So I was seven when 9-11 happened, so I remember that. But Oklahoma City, I was, I was, uh, I don't even know if I was in- incepted yet. Like like Leo <laughs> DiCaprio. Incepted. Yeah, like Leo DiCaprio with a spinning top. I, w- I was just a, uh, a figment of Leonardo DiCaprio's mind in that one, inside a Japanese man, inside a Chinese man, inside some other dude, some, I don't know. The dream of a yeah, an old man. Yeah, honestly, I don't remember a huge amount of the actual coverage. Um, obviously, the internet was nowhere near as widespread as it was, uh, so it's not like people were sitting on social media all day. Fuck the internet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, TikToking it up and and sharing, um, uh, you know, half baked news stories, which is you know, the closest thing we would have had would have been CNN um, as a twenty four hour news. I don't even know if like. Other channels were around at that point. Um, but, no, I mean, it just, I don't I don't remember it being, you know, specifically uh, uh, formative or something that people were just wailing in the streets or anything. You know, it was it was just another day. You move on. So it, it didn't have the societal impact. Uh, Absolutely not. Like it 9/11. still doesn't. Like no, no, no. OK. Yeah. Uh, but it was I mean. Probably the closest thing. So here's the closest thing to that was, uh, was it one year or two years later when they did the scene, the the first scene of the X Files movie, and they based it on the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, and and I remember that got some people riled up because they were like, well, that's that's kind of uncouth or that's you know that's in poor taste to do that, but too soon. it was, and yet if you go back and watch that movie, holds up really well. By the way, um, go back and watch that. Was that ninety six, ninety seven, somewhere in there. Uh, it's about a federal agent deliberately setting off a bomb to hide uh, evidence of, of, in this case, it's uh, extraterrestrials. But you know, he, he's basically they're 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 using a huge bombing, killing hundreds of people, to hide evidence of uh, one or two things. So it it just rings true to this concept that something else was going on um, yeah. with with this particular bombing. Yeah, it, se- it seems like uh, whether it was, you know, Building 7 or what Sam Tripley always goes off on with Building 6 or even that weird building explosion six, yeah. in Nashville Christmas morning uh, a year or two ago. At the at the AT&T switching center? Yeah, it seems like there's always some kind of evidence destruction that is one of the purposes. But a lot of these things are dual purpose, I would imagine. Uh, it's like n- never let a good crisis go to waste and you can – we can waste it d- 10 different ways or or – not uh, what's the opposite of waste. You can seize on it ten different ways if you have a bunch of people with uh, coalescing interests. Yeah, uh, if you want to, what, what, uh, there's a, there's a phrase and I can't remember, but if you want to you want to hide a crime, you thrombocato thrombocatopedia. If you want to hide hide another crime, you uh, hide evidence of a crime, you go commit an even larger one, and that and it'll I, just get lost. I have a similar thesis that uh, my buddy Caleb and I came up with years ago called the double dick theory, where if you do something, whether on purpose or by accident, like spill a beer on someone's carpet, you have to immediately grab another beer or the beer they're holding and dump the whole thing on their carpet 
while making eye contact with them, and then they can't be mad at you. It's the double dick theory. If you knock a clock off wow. somebody's wall, you immediately kick it as hard as you can across the room. It cancels out. So, yeah, I get what you're saying. Not sure that cancels out. It just gets them looking at something else. So a better <laughs> example would be if you if you accidentally spill a beer at your, your at a friend's house when you're over there for a party, you go set their car on fire. <laughs> they forget all about that beer being spilled. Okay, yeah, I like that. I don't know if I call that the double dig theory, but it's like that's like um, I like it though. Um, so there was uh, as you heard in the intro, the official story is a guy. And I guess the guy that helped him build the bomb, Mr. Nichols, Timothy McVeigh Nichols, uh, drive this rider truck, which originally was a car, but then turned into a truck in later reports and detonate it. Uh, <clears throat> what is it? It's like uh, just a bunch of fertilizer and diesel fuel, basically. Uh, fertilizer, diesel fuel, fuel primarily. Yeah. It's a, just a big nitrogen bomb. Yeah. Blow up, uh, you know, over a third, if not half of the building killing 160 something people and this was there was all these reports which i can play a couple of of multiple bombs being retrieved from the building uh but the official story is for i guess uh, for anybody that is completely unfamiliar with this that tim mcveigh acted alone other than having some help building a bomb to disgruntled uh war vets that were upset about ruby ridge randy weaver and waco and well, and there's also the the John Doe number two that was spotted, and they could never track down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then you know the, these guys who they thought was they thought might be kept turning up dead in prison and stuff, and it was just you know it kind of domino after domino after domino um, related to this this general theory. But initially, uh, within you know just an hour or two of the bombing, the governor of uh, Oklahoma, Frank Keating is on the line with local news and he's saying he's just talked to Bill Clinton and they're like, their counterterrorism uh, experts are on their way. And it's definitely a really sophisticated group that pulled this off. The reports I have is that one device was, uh, was uh, deactivated. Apparently there's another device and obviously whatever did the damage to the Murrah building was a tremendous, uh, very sophisticated explosive device. So President Clinton just called Frank uh, Keating, Governor Frank Keating, and he says that three FBI anti-terrorist teams are en route to Oklahoma City. Right now, they are saying that this is the work of a sophisticated group. This is a very uh, sophisticated uh, device, and um, it has to have been done by an explosives expert, um, obviously with this type of explosion. I believe that the federal government should give people cocaine with marijuana. So the there's no wait what <laughs> that was a separate that was a separate unrelated bill went off on that press conference that went to a weird spot <laughs> there's a there's just something uh weird that they're i don't i don't know it, you'd think they would have their story straight ahead of time but I, I guess back then they didn't have as much of a tightly knit network in the media a mockingbird wasn't in uh, at 100% capacity because this idea that they immediately say Oh, it's got to be a real sophisticated group. Uh, the governor and Bill Clinton are immediately coming out saying it's a. It must have been a sophisticated. Even the governor there was saying they've already deactivated two additional detonation uh, or uh, bombs that they've diffused. Yeah, they found at least three on site, sort of thing, and and, right. and each one was bigger than the last. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't think it was that that Mockingbird wasn't in effect as much as 
they they jumped on it from a federal standpoint to get the 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 local yokels out. They didn't want the local sheriff, the local police involved. They wanted to come in quickly, and it was a federal crime scene because it was a federal building and federal property, et cetera. So, right by stating it was a sophisticated attack by a sophisticated group who were you know well funded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that let them lump it all into the general larger um, uh, theme of of international or in this case domestic terrorism. Yeah, and I do have uh, a terrorism expert. I think this is on channel, yeah, I believe channel four, uh, Oklahoma News. But Doctor, we are just shocked that this would happen here in the heartland of America. Should we be shocked about a car bomb in Oklahoma City? Well, any place you have a federal building, uh, you have a target. That's the question everybody has right now. Why here? Why Oklahoma City? And and uh, you find out by finding why that building. I don't think it's I don't think it's material that it was in Oklahoma City. It's really the building. The building could have been in any city in the United States. The question is why that building? And was it Waco? Uh, is it uh, Nation of Islam? We should find out an awful lot uh, when the bombs are taken apart. I think it was a, a great stroke of luck. As you're mentioning, it's hard to talk about luck on a day like today in Oklahoma City. But it was a great stroke of luck that we actually have got diffused bombs. It's through the bomb material that we will be able to track down uh, who committed this atrocity. All right, Dr. Randall Heather, terrorism expert, we appreciate your time and your thoughts today, and I assume that we will be speaking with you again here in the hours and days to come. So there he is flat out saying it, confirming that they've retrieved multiple devices, and he's like, this is really lucky because we're going to be able to dismantle these and figure out who built the bombs. You never heard about that. Again, that was the day of the bombing. Yeah, a lot of a lot of stories change. Now, granted, a, a, a lot of details change in in these sorts of stories early on, um, mm-hmm. just through through mixed information or bad information, mixed messages, etc. Um, but it is it is strange that some of these things kept coming up and then never again afterwards. I mean, he seemed very confident that they had d- devices on hand. Well, yeah, and there were there were reports where they found multiple bombs, and they defused the other two sort of thing. So it was, um, uh, it was a common thread early on that there were multiple, multiple bombs, and only one went off. Right, and you brought up John Doe number two earlier. Have mm-hmm. you seen any of the? I think it's that same Channel Four News like investigative stuff they did in the weeks following up. Uh, not specifically on that. No, none of the none of the video. Just read a lot of articles about it. Well, they so they did. They were trying to get a hold of the. Um, th- they had documents and testimony that there were multiple cameras pointed at the building, and they were trying to get the cameras showing John Doe number two. This is back. This is still during the manhunt, the oh, yeah. nationwide manhunt during, of John well, Doe two. Even during the trial, when they they used that footage, um, it, there, again there was mysterious sections missing from multiple cameras all roughly around the same time. And their response was, well, that's, that's just when the tapes were in out, we were changing the tapes. Yeah. The tapes had a cycle case and all, all right within, uh, yeah, I have, (laughs) I have a clip on that too, actually. And a bit of, a bit of trivia because it was government surplus. They, uh, they sold those, those same, um, uh, tape recorders, um, to the, uh, New York city department of corrections. And those were later used in, uh, uh, to watch Epstein. Oops. They broke again. (laughs) I thought you were going to say it's the they they those tapes that went missing or uh, they taped over them like the moon landing like NASA. 
They just repurposed well, them, they, and gave them to NASA, and it's they, like a, yeah, they, they need they needed those for something else. They, they, you know, there's a special episode of Dallas on. Got to tape that. <laughs> I've got to see season two, episode four of Chips. <laughs> you guys got to see this that? episode of Family <laughs> Family Feud. <laughs> I've seen this episode of Jeopardy before. I got to. Make more tapes. It was just hours after the bombing when the news channel first told you about the possibility that surveillance cameras may have captured the explosion and the killers on tape. Our sources and sources for the L.A. Times describe what's actually on those tapes. The information shows some huge surprises. The biggest, that it may have been John Doe number 2, not Timothy Mm. McVeigh, who detonated the bomb. Brad Edwards has the latest on the investigation in this exclusive news channel report. Our new information comes directly from a source that has seen parts of those surveillance tapes. It also comes from reports now in the Los Angeles Times. But perhaps the biggest surprise is contained in the news channel's own information. Timothy McVeigh was not the last person to leave the Ryder truck. In fact, another man sat inside the cab of the truck after McVeigh got out. We believe that man is John Doe number 2, a man who, for all we know, is still on the loose, leaving open a vital question. Was it John Doe number 2 who actually set off the bomb, not Timothy McVeigh, as we've all been led to believe? News Channel 4 has for weeks been demanding copies of the surveillance tapes from the FBI. The federal government so far is dragging its feet. Unbelievable. So even, they were even... Is dicking, it They were even... Yeah, it's... Uh, it's course for the par, I think is the phrase. Uh, that's the term, right? Yes. They, uh, I do like how they are just even ch- like the local news back then would kind of call out the FBI, though. Like, well, uh, we asked for the footage and the FBI said, go fuck yourself. And we said, oh. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> fuck you. No, fuck you. <laughs> um, now there was, I will say, over the last uh, 10 years, maybe, maybe less-ish, um, about 10 years, there's been an uptick in this, like, do whatever the government says, trust the government, etc. There was a general distrust of any sort of federal or even state authority um, 30 years ago. So it was, it was, you know, kind of, for them to, like, just kind of throw in that comment, the federal government, of course, is dragging their feet, like, government, jeez, can't even get their act together. You know, yeah. It's pretty standard. Okay, well, and, and I guess that's fair because, like, you were bringing up X Files. That was a pretty don't trust the government, um, and it like in the media, just in the entertainment, movies, and TV. That was kind of a thing that was pushed to, and I, it could be, I guess. Do you think that's because it was more in the zeitgeist already culturally, and that bled into media, or is it vice versa? Does media create that opinion and sentiment? Uh, I think I think it's just a reflection of of the times they lived or times we lived in it. You know, so you go back and that's that's when uh, things that like would never exist today. You have um, uh, it was a Mel Gibson movie, Conspiracy Theory. You have the one with Will yep. Smith. I can't remember the name of that one where they were getting spied on by the the police and stuff. So it's just uh, Fresh and then Prince there's of a huge cover up. Yes, Fresh Prince. That's exactly what it was. Documentary. What the heck was the name of that movie? Uh, um, Enemy of the State, maybe. Yeah, that one. Yeah. So it's all about like huge government overreach and oh my goodness we screwed up let's go kill a bunch of people to cover up our mistake and people are just like munching popcorn and drinking soda watching that because mm-hmm. they're just they hundred uh, percent bought into it but that sort of sentiment and those were like ninety seven ninety six that sort of sentiment now you're just like what no you can't do no they're they're upstanding individuals they're not the Patriot Front watching walking around with their FBI shirts on inside out um, oh and sh- so. You, you- just to, I didn't even think about the timeline on this till just now, but the, I, I, 
I mean, who did the score for that movie? John Williams, the just all-star cast and Oscar-winning film uh, JFK by Oliver Stone, the most like conspiratorial government movie of all time, came out in '91. That's just a couple years. It was '91, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so th- that general uh, uh, feeling towards government was was pretty common. Uh, yeah. That the you know, well, that FBI probably doing something. So. Well, not, actually, not not so much on the FBI as much as just the the federal government in general was just kind of not not necessarily a bad actor as much as just incompetent or they didn't have you know they clearly had uh, special interests at heart not um, not the American people et cetera so that was and this was all pre nine eleven so yeah man and when, and also dads would wear shorts that were way too short that's all I remember from the nineties. I remember thinking that, that is like a seventies and eighties too. In the eighties, <laughs> you look them up. There's a, there was a brand called Bike, and you could get these bike spandex shorts that everyone would wear. <laughs> that was the thing. Oh God! Um, yeah, I'm a so cargo one thing from that clip, they, <laughs> cargo shorts down past my knees. Yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> one thing they they didn't mention in in that um, that news story was uh, that at one point there was stories about. Uh, a second body found, or no, a body found in the truck that was the John Doe number two, that was the second driver, or possibly even a John Doe number three, and that this person helped McVeigh or whoever build the bomb, and then they killed them and just left them in the rider truck. So when it blew up, uh, there was like a, as I'm trying to remember vaguely on this, there was they found like an extra leg or something they couldn't account for. I didn't know about this. Is there a, is there like news reports on this at the time, I'm or is sure, that something that was discovered in retrospect? Uh, well, it was discovered retrospect, obviously, because it couldn't be discovered before, but... Well, I mean, retrospect, like, did they discover it, like, that day of the bombing, or or was it reported on that day, or... Uh, let's see. Because a lot of that best trial. news footage you get is from the day of, before the memo went out, and to everybody, like, hey, shut shut up. Stop it. Uh, I'll, see, I'll see what I can dig up. Here's something from the Washington Times... Um, said Oklahoma City bonding. There's a mysterious detached leg found in the rubble of the destroyed building. Since all 168 known victims' legs have been accounted for, the left leg has per- perplexed investigators and has yet to be traced back to an owner. Wow. Uh, this is for this article is from 2015. I had no idea. Well, that's news to me. That's pretty wild. Maybe it was. Maybe there was a, like a leg tree somebody had planted in the in the greenhouse section of that. Well, it was that that dude with the third leg? Um. <laughs> so it said. Uh, Unmatched left leg collected, so again, this is from 2015, so 20 years later, so they're doing a retrospective, but it goes back to a story in 1997, uh, reviving the possibility of 169th unidentified victim, as um, uh, as well as def- defense lawyers' long-held belief that Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols had an additional accomplice. So it kind of, it's kind of part of the John Doe number two, but potentially a John Doe number three theory, because they think they know who John Doe number two was, two and they arrest the guy. if he's missing a leg. <laughs> Two, maybe four. Yeah. Uh, they arrested a guy, and um, uh, uh, he was killed in prison a couple of days later. And then somebody else, you know, could could give evidence on that. And then that prisoner was killed in prison. And it's just, you know, very strange. I do, yeah. I have some stuff on that. Um, or we, I have stuff on the missing tapes with the guy named Jesse Trinidad, who's a lawyer. He was t- he subpoenaed and got these tapes. Uh, I think he's the, he was the one that had the the tapes released to him where they're missing footage. It's very convenient yeah, the, time. Uh, so Trinidad was, uh, that was the first guy they thought was John Doe number two was his brother that they like arrested on an unrelated charge, like in Los Angeles or somewhere. For and drinking they shipped beer. Him, <laughs> they shipped him, 
They shipped him to Oklahoma City for some odd reason, and his brother is an attorney from somewhere, Seattle, something like that. Um, and his brother, they were, you know, they were talking on the phone every day about his his upcoming, you know, uh, um, tr- not trial, but I guess his his arraignment. Uh, and then suddenly the guy, quote unquote, committed suicide and his body was all beat up and bruised and all sorts of uh, uh, they used makeup to try to hide some of the injuries. And mm-hmm. it's another one of those suicides where these, oh, he slashed his own throat and, you know, crushed his own skull. And, you know, well, boy, that's a hell of a way to commit suicide. Um, There's a couple yeah, of those do, with this case. Really started digging yeah. into that. Yeah. So that's that's what his brother getting uh, suicided in jail and the cameras malfunctioning. Where have you heard that before? Uh, it, it in the for the suicide was what led him. He was investigating his brother's death, and that just kept it kept coming back to the Oklahoma City bombing. Because why was a guy yeah, he that kept, was, he kept digging? Yep, yep. Why was a guy that had his he he was drinking beer on his own property, which was technically a violation of his parole. But he was taken from Southern California to Oklahoma City the day during the John Doe two manhunt, and he literally the reason he was brought in was because he was drinking beer. I've been drinking beer. Beer. Uh, so Whoa, yeah. you have a you have a Bill Nye beer chant. <laughs> that's that's the Chinese pronunciation <laughs> of the Bill Nye themes. <laughs> is it serious? Is it really? Yeah. Are they trying to say Bill? Yeah, beer, 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 Nye, the science guy. Beer, Somebody beer, from the OBDM Discord uh, asked for asked for the I've been drinking beer drop. They made that for me and sent it back. I just loved it. That's awesome. I wish I could credit them. I always forget. Yeah, what the I've, hell, man. I'll have to go back through those. I credited them at the time, but I just, I'm, what can I say? I'm a piece of shit. That's great. That's really good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll play some of the Jesse Trinidad talking about his, uh, the mysterious death of his brother and, uh, why he thinks that might have happened. I spoke with him Saturday evening. He was supposed to call back Sunday, and this was he. Sorry, he's talking to uh, Jesse Trinidad, the lawyer, is talking about his brother uh, Kenneth Trinidad that he's speaking with, was speaking with on the phone to call AKA back Sunday. Potentially, John Doe. He arrived two. on Friday, yes. the eighteenth of August, nineteen ninety-five. I spoke to him on the nineteenth of August, the Saturday, for about twenty minutes, uh, talking about his parole hearing and how that you know it was, there was no way they were going to send him back to jail for drinking beer. I've been drinking uh, beer and. <laughs> On Sunday, he was supposed to call me back, and he didn't. And on Monday morning, my mother received a call. This was August 21st, 1995, from the warden at the Federal Transfer Center in Oklahoma City, uh, saying my brother had committed suicide and asking permission to have his body cremated. And, of course, she refused. My mother refused that request. It took about a week of fighting with the federal government to have his body released, we found out later that during that time period, the federal government had made two attempts to have his body cremated. When he arrived home, he was uh, covered in makeup, and my mother, his wife, and my sister removed the makeup. I was on my way to Southern California in Orange County where they had sent the body where his wife and my family still live. Uh, when I arrived, he had been beaten head to toe. His skull was split in three places, his throat had been cut, uh, even the soles of his feet had been beaten. Um, and the government said it was a suicidal hanging. Gotta love that. Uh, he fell down the stairs. 
He was always a clumsy guy. Yes. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, uh, I guess, more of a background. I'll play the, uh, I'll just go into this next one here. It's about a minute and 20. And what we never had was a motive for his death. Uh, people would say to you, why would the federal government torture, and he was tortured, and, and murder your brother? And we had no explanation for that. Uh, another thing about the case that was always unexplainable was the fact that so much evidence disappeared. Uh, my brother was supposedly found with blood-stained clothing, but when his body was turned over to the medical examiner two hours later, his clothes are gone. He's wearing nothing but boxer shorts. Uh, the video camera, supposedly that would monitor access to my brother, malfunctioned. Yeah. The log books that would have shown who came and went from the institution with access to my brother either disappeared or the pages on the date my brother was there, dates my brother was there, were torn out. Uh, the crime scene photographs disappear. The medical examiner is not allowed access to the death scene. When he finally is allowed access to the death scene, four months later, it had been uh, painted and cleaned up. And this is all done by the, the FBI and the Department of Justice. And we could never understand why this kind of, of resistance was coming from the government. So you've heard, uh, I assume, the reason he thinks he got killed was a mistaken identity? Yeah, so they, they, they thought he was, he, they thought he matched the description of the John Doe number two um, from, the, from, from Oklahoma City. So that's, that's why they shipped him out there, which is what, was, what really kind of uh, started off his brother digging into this. I think they also, didn't, they obviously didn't know who the guy was initially, but you know the, the, the fact that his brother was a, a, a very successful attorney Mm-hmm. Uh, with the resources to really start digging into this, um, the, the, obviously they they had they thought they had the wrong guy. So the the the, the and the thought on his death was they were torturing him uh, for a confession related to Oklahoma City, and so it was federal uh, federal guys doing the torturing. Right, um, and, and his brother he, had been a bank robber, which I guess I, sh- I should have mentioned earlier. Uh, the there was like a terror, a supposed domestic terror cell that was. Uh, tied in with, they were very nearby uh, Ruby Ridge, and, and they well, were, they were they were trying supposedly to tie, robbing so, banks to fund anti anti government offensives. Yeah, in the in the mid nineties, there was this. I mean, there was kind of a, a dirty word was was the word militia, and there was these this concept of these militias, uh, you know, these weird ones that like goes like the the Ohio Military Reserve and things like that. Um, that were these these unaffiliated unsanctioned just you know bunch of guys out drinking beer shooting guns um how what was the, there was a Clint Eastwood movie where they played this up uh, pink Cadillac um from the late 80s so go back and that was like this ties in exactly with that theory so that's again Hollywood reflecting what was going on and the bad guys in that one were literally uh white nationalist bank robbers who you know were were you know gonna go shoot up the government sort of thing um and that was kind of the, uh, the 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 sense at the time, and so you had these these loosely affiliated, not affiliated, but un- unaffiliated, but kind of loose groups that would just you know eight guys would get together and form a militia, and they'd go out and shoot stuff on the weekends. Well, we can't have that, and some of them started. Um, some of them were tied to uh, to 
white nationalism and, and you know KKK and Nazi stuff, whatever. But that all it takes is one, and now they're all affiliated with that. Mm-hmm. And so they the thought was this guy because he was a uh, he was a convicted bank robber, um, and you know his brother was always would describe him as uh, he would always rob with a rob a bank with a gun that wouldn't fire anyway, so he got a lesser sentence. Um, but he served his time, and so when they came out, here's a guy who kind of matched the description of John Doe number two, and what had you know a, a history of bank robbery, and so they thought, okay, this is the this is our guy uh, because we have these these uh, militia groups in in Oklahoma or Kansas or somewhere near, like you said, nearby who were um, uh, also robbing banks to to fund their kind of anti-government activities. So, and this all happened within just a few months, I think, less than two months, something like that. Of So Oklahoma City was in mid-April, and this guy was dead by, like, July or August. Yeah. So they were, they were doing everything they could to kind of uh, figure out what was going on or, or find the right people or whatever, however you want to phrase that. And so they were they basically this guy was in jail for like three or four days and they, you know, basically beat him to death and then said he committed suicide. And it's right, because how do you convince it's kind of like the Gitmo Guantanamo Bay stuff. Like if you're innocent and you're getting tortured, how are you going to convince anybody that you're innocent? At that point, it's just you got to tell you're telling them what they want to hear basically to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, I'll play this on Richard Lee Guthrie. This is still uh, Jesse Trendu talking. Oh, Sounds terrible. Try that again here. June or July of 1996, I see an article in the Los Angeles Times talking about a man named Richard Lee Guthrie who had been found hanging in his cell in federal custody. And it was the day before Guthrie had said that he was going to give an interview to the Los Angeles Times that would blow the lid off the Oklahoma City bombing. And it just simply said that Guthrie belonged to a, a, a group of bank robbers. And I didn't focus much on Guthrie. There was no photograph of Guthrie either. And then shortly before his death, I received a message from Tim McVeigh, who told me, he said, when I saw your brother's picture and heard what happened to him, I want you to know that, in my opinion, he was murdered by the FBI because they mistook him for Richard Lee Guthrie. And... I looked at a photograph of Guthrie, and Guthrie looked very similar to my brother. But what really brought all the pieces together was a phone call from a a reporter named J.D. Cash, who had followed the Oklahoma City bombing from the the moment it happened. He was a reporter in eastern Oklahoma. He'd had family and friends killed in the bombing. That's one thing that uh, seem, like seems to get underestimated by these type of plots is people's family members get killed and it's underestimated the vengeance that these, like, I mean, not that I guess nobody's been brought to justice for it, but the amounts of... Um, I, the the just, lengths people will go to to investigate this. Right, stuff. the determination people have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like this, uh, like Jesse... Uh, Trinidad and and um, and more like um, I I guess we probably won't won't get into it this episode necessarily, but uh, uh, Terry Eke, his wife, has like gone completely public and and uh, and just uh, it goes it probably goes the same way with the like the FBI. If the FBI think one of their guys got killed by somebody, they'll torture that guy to death and make it look like a suicide and not and sleep great that night because you know mm-hmm. they took out one of their guys. So it's 
it's kind of a, I don't know. It's kind of a interesting dynamic there, but the, uh, the JD, this is Jesse talking about the JD cash call. This is the last clip on that. Feel free to pause at any time, because I think this goes, this is more than just like a mistaken identity or like wrong place at wrong time. Coincidence. This is almost like a supernatural level of coincidence of this guy. Uh, like the similarities they had, not just the bank robbery and the look, but. And it was in 2003, I believe, or 2004, yeah. when I received a call from JD, and he said, I'd, "If you got a minute, I'd like to talk to you about your brother." And I said, "Sure." And uh, what JD said was, "Describe your brother." And I said, "Well, you know, he was." And JD said, "Well, how tall was he?" And I said, "He's about five foot eight, five nine. JD said, "What was his build like?" I said, "He was a very powerfully built man." Uh, complexion, I said he was dark complected. A mustache, yes, he had a mustache. Uh, where was he when he was, he was picked up? And I said, well, he was coming back across the border from Mexico. He'd been down to visit some friends down there. And his, his wife's family, she's Mexican-American, a citizen in the United States, but still have family in Baja, California. And J.D. said, what was he driving? And I said, a mid-1980s, uh, a 1986 Chevrolet pickup truck. And J.D. said, did he have any tattoos? And I said, yes. And J.D. said, what kind? And I said, he had a dragon tattoo. And J.D. said, where? And I said, on his left forearm. And J.D. said, oh, shit. He said, "Are you You better sit down. And I said, I'm, I'm sitting down. And he said, let me tell you this. Sit down even harder. <laughs> he said, the largest manhunt in American history was for John Doe II. It was occurring at the time your brother was arrested. And J.D. said, this is the description of John Doe, too. White male, powerful upper body build, 5'8", 5'9", dark complected, believed to be in Canada or Mexico, driving mid-1980s Chevrolet pickup truck, dragon tattoo, left forearm. And that's when it all came together. That they had mistaken my brother for someone else. And now someone else was Richard Lee Guthrie who was a perfect match, I found out later, for my brother, down to the dragon tattoo on his left forearm. I mean, that's almost like a... That's that's just kind of crazy. Like, the odds of mm-hmm. that are just incredible. Um, if he's if that's all true. I mean, I guess when th- in a country of 300 million people, I guess is about what it was at the time, that's not out of the question for somebody to... For two people to have the same truck and, the, and both have, have robbed banks and both have a dragon tattoo on their left forearm and look real similar, but it's just kind of like, wow. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I was even down to the um, tattoo in the same place and they both had, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a, a big old porn star style mustache sort of thing, but you know, yeah. it's, it's not nothing there. They described was terribly uncommon, but um, yeah, you think they do some homework before they beat a guy to death with pool cues on his feet. Right. But yeah. It's so, uh, Richard Lee Guthrie, uh, also dies uh, suspiciously, no camera. Cameras don't work, all that. If they said Guthrie ended up hanging, supposedly suicide, in his cell while in the custody of the FBI. We had an eyewitness to my brother's murder, an inmate named Alden Gildas Baker. Uh, a month before we were going to go to his trial, Baker supposedly hangs himself in his cell while under FBI custody. Again, another suicide. I know I glossed over it, but it's also interesting that Timothy McVeigh himself called Jesse Trinidou to let him know that his, he thinks his brother was murdered. 
Yeah, there was um uh, 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 I think it was it was before his trial, so they were they were trying to um do anything they can to kind of just throw uh what's the what's the term here? To sh- to shed doubt on the um on the case, so yeah, but I, I don't know. I guess it's I mean, it's hard to tell McVeigh or Nichols because I mean they're clearly in feds in some capacity. Uh, well, they were both in the both in the military, so they definitely definitely started there, right? But they, it seemed like they, even after they were tried and convicted, especially if you watch that sixty minutes interview with the uh, McVeigh, he's very confident that he can't say too much, but he's confident they're going to take care of him. Like he's not a guy oh. that seems he seems like everything's still kind of go, going according to plan. Like they said, mm-hmm. I'll be fine. Does that make sense? That's how I read his demeanor, anyway. But he still yeah, feels um, guilt enough to call uh, the guy's brother that sh- got killed when he shouldn't have had anything to do with it. Well, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm not following your, your connection there, but. Well, because uh, yeah. Jesse Trinidad said that uh, that uh, McVeigh called him up personally. Did, well, did he call him personally? Or did he reach out anyway? He's basically trying to point point the finger at somebody else and said, "No, no, it was actually uh, the, who was the guy we just said uh, Guthrie. Guthrie." Yeah, um, it's all very which convoluted, would, would, right? Which would point towards this this larger you know militia bank robbing group. Um, can't remember the, the name of that group, but it was the something Aryan Brotherhood, something or other like that. You know, it, was, it had a weird name like that. Um, so again, whether that was he, he was he realized he was being set up as a patsy, or he was involved but not to that extent, or or hard to say. But he was, I think, he was definitely trying to point people at at some other um, uh, potential guilty parties. Yeah, it's just it's really. I, I've been, I've looked I've watched that interview with McVeigh on sixty minutes a handful of times and every time I am just I don't know what to make of it. Have you seen it? I'm sure I have not recently. Yeah, it's just uh, I should have clipped some of it. Uh, I sh- I think I have a little bit maybe somewhere, but uh, probably not leveled out correctly. So I'll save that. But yeah, it's it's just very bizarre, very very um, just very weird uh, that. McVeigh is, is calm, collected, and he's like, well, I can't say this and I can't say that, but I will tell you that there were more people involved, and I'm confident that uh, my lawyers are going to get me out of here, and I didn't do anything wrong type of thing. I'm serving my country. It's just really, I don't know, unless he's just delusional and the violent psychopath that he's made out to be, which didn't play that way. But Well, it, it, go back and watch some of the interviews with, with Charles Manson in prison, too. I mean, the guy was... Clearly off his rocker, but at times could be very coherent and you know kind of persuasive and charming. So yeah, the swastika tattoo on the forehead is a little hard sell. Well, that was yeah, that was a little much there. Yeah, maybe he meant it in like the the Hindi like Indian way before the Nazis co opted it. Well, or he was just a big fan of the uh, Denver International Airport runway system. Oh, probably yeah. Yeah, he's just like I, he I the, like big airports. He had the blue Bronco with the red eyes on his ass cheek tattooed. Nobody saw that one. <laughs> By uh, the way, any, anyone curious, just go. Yeah, look, go to Google Maps, look up the Denver International Airport, and look at the runway layout. Weird. Yeah, I went there uh, a couple years back. It was like right before COVID, and they they had already taken down like some of the murals. I was excited to go see. The, a lot of the murals came down, but I will say that they 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 are well aware. Not to get off on tangent here, but they're well. Denver is the airport is well aware of the. 
um, the reputation that they have and they lean into it. So all of their like construction signs, you know, like, the, hey, please partner dust. We're working on a remodel. All say things like, uh, we'll finish up as soon as the lizard people return our tools and stuff like that. So it's they, they lean into those those uh, those stories about the, the airport and the bunker underneath and all that stuff. So credit to them for that. The net in the chat says the Hutteri Hutari militia. Yeah, so he he was bringing up in here um, that um, Michigan had a big militia component um, back in the '90s, and uh, the FBI infiltrated them, and there was some some things going on there. So this this was a common thing in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, a lot of these kind of disaffected groups, all branded as anti-government. Today, they'd be domestic terrorists, and they would just get rousted and and shot. But um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it was it was a not uncommon thing. So in something in 1995, it's easy for them to say, oh, there was probably this white nationalist militia involved. The people go, yeah, probably. Yeah, I'll buy that. For Whereas if they, if they if they said that today, it's it's a different tact because we don't have as much as we have the, the fake Patriot Front. And there's another was the other one. Uh, there's the three percenters and there's a couple front. of those groups. Yeah, you mean Rob Dude, um, Patriot Front, dude, Patriot Front. Yeah guys are still wandering around with police protection weird um uh but the other one they, was they've got what, these proud groups boys with, proud boys yeah that was the other one um but none of them are kind of to the same the, the same type that existed in the in the 80s and 90s where it was you know a bunch of good old boys out doing their thing riding atvs around and shooting shotguns there was never a a um any any thought given to like, well, this is a serious threat or whatever, but you know, they'd be like, ah, damn the government, you know, I don't want to pay taxes, you know, is that sort of thing. Well, you know, and people don't necessarily disagree with that, but it's it wasn't like they were uh you know, staging uh mass insurrection like say the um autonomous zone in Seattle, but we won't bring that up. <laughs> that was fine. That lasted forever. That was pretty crazy. Well, how long did nah, that go on? A cool. couple months? Uh what was that place called? The sure Seattle felt Autonomous like a couple zone. months. Chop, well, until the Chaz. weather got Chaz, yeah, until the weather got bad. <laughs> Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Wait, the weather's um, good in Seattle sometimes. Yeah, the weather's lovely, and so here's here's how you know if somebody has ever been to Seattle during the summer when they say, "Oh, it's so beautiful there." That means they were there between the months of June and September. Um, if they're there any other time, then it's just kind of drizzly and miserable. And I say that as a former resident of Seattle. I've been um, scared to go there after I saw that goblin dump hot coffee on Alex Jones. It is a so I will say this, uh, you know, I, I first went to Seattle in the early '90s or so, and it was a, it was a very interesting place, very great. It, it's a shithole now; it's an absolute utter shithole. Uh, it's San Francisco level shithole. Seattle, Portland, all the cities, just you know, avoid them like the plague. Yeah. Despite what people saying, ah, oh, it's not that that way. I live, you know, I lived here, lived here for thirty years. It's fine. Yeah, just go go downtown to Second Street real quick and uh, see if you get accosted by folks. Yeah, it's it's. It's terrible. Um, Autonomous Zone established June 8th, cleared in July, but in July they were back. Um, anyways, a month or two. Yeah. So Wild. Well, that uh, the militia talk is maybe a good lead-in to go back to PBS here. There's heavy damage. Da- April 19, 1995. About a third of the building has been blown away. A Ryder rental truck with 5,000 pounds of explosives ripped through the Alfred P. Murrah Federal... Uh, the, uh, the early report said 12,000 pounds, but I guess by 2017, when this PBS NewsHour thing came out, it was 
Yeah, there's all sorts of stories that he was, he bought uh, 20,000 pounds of fertilizer, which is enough to like go fully fertilize a 15-acre farm or something. So that amount is not necessarily unusual, which is why people were, were kind of aghast at this. Like, what? You can do this? It's like, well, there's you can make all sorts of... Go find the Anarchist Cookbook. You can make all sorts of crazy shit out there. So a farmer or somebody who purports to be a farmer over several months buying enough to fertilize his his 20 acre corn farm that no one's going to blink an eye at that or bat an eye at that yeah uh, we haven't even gotten into the logistics of how that bomb would do the damages it did to that building and take out those columns and everything but yeah yeah, you can make a fertilizer bomb it's possible i'm not condoning that action though unless you really want to building in oklahoma city 168 people were killed 19 children among them has come in here and done this terrible thing. I knew very little of the story. I mean, I remember, like a lot of people remember that day and the image of that building, you know, with its face blown off, an image that we weren't used to or accustomed to at the time. Barrett Goodman is director of the film Oklahoma City. Uh, while I think a lot of people remember this as a simple story of a, of a lone a terrorist committee. It's, I think it's starring uh, Chris Pratt. It's an animated children's movie. Act. It actually has very deep roots. And when we pulled on those roots, a whole a whole nother story sort of appeared. The film delves into the rise of white nationalist militias in the 1980s and two later events that galvanized the country and deeply influenced Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh. It's the new thing in America. It's called the militia. The siege of Ruby Ridge in 1992, when the FBI and U.S. Marshals confronted Randy Weaver at his home in rural Idaho, resulting in the deaths of Weaver's wife, son, and a U.S. Marshal. The events at Ruby Ridge lit up the radical right. You're a disgrace to the white race! And the following year, Waco, Texas, when federal agents were planning to report... It was just some guy yelling, you're a disgrace! He's like a guy that's yelling outside Wendy Weaver's house at cops, at federal agents. No, that comes from their uh, their library of sound effects. They had one of their interns yell that in the parking lot, and then they just dropped that in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair to PBS, it was actual footage of, because uh, I remember clipping it, it was actual footage of people outside Randy Weaver's house yelling at the cops. Now, could that guy have been a fed or a paid provocateur? Probably, but there were a lot of people with um, white trader signs and all kinds of stuff outside that Ruby Ridge. Uh, scene like during the standoff with Weaver. Hmm. Uh, I mean, j- just because there's, and also I'll just say, just to clarify my my point, just because a lot of like racist uh, white nationalists or KKK things are infiltrated by feds doesn't mean there are actually a bunch of like racist morons out there that really believe that shit. Um, I think <laughs> I tend to think that's less of a real threat nowadays, but. Even no, though I, I would say the percentages are probably similar to what we saw with the uh, the Michigan governor kidnapping plot, where right. it was, what, 12 people and like eight of them were FBI informants? Yeah. <laughs> I think it might have and even I would, been I would, 10. I would say more. that's probably pretty common if if you went and really looked at these groups um, that were either, you know, people who either known to the FBI, FBI informants, paid FBI informants, undercover people, whatever it is, you're going to find a huge percentage, like in the, in the 25, 30, 40 percent range in some of these groups. Yeah, it's that's I'd say it's over fifty percent in a lot of cases, just based on the mm-hmm. just absolute goofiness of some of these protest signs I see even back then in the nineties, or the Patriot Front stuff, how like uniform and hidden they're all hiding their faces. Yeah, it's gotta be mostly feds. 
to the white race. And the following year, Waco, Texas, when federal agents responding to reports of weapons stockpiling attempted to arrest the leader of a religious sect known as the Branch Davidians. A firefight broke out, killing 10, including four ATF agents. And after a 51-day standoff, the complex went up in flames as agents moved in with tear gas. More than 70 people died. But how many kids died? During the long standoff, then 24-year-old Army veteran Timothy McVeigh had been watching nearby. That just boggles my mind. had already apparently been very concerned about what had happened at Ruby Ridge. So he came down to Waco and sold bumper stickers with pro-gun, anti-government slogans. I think McVeigh was kind of like, you know what that is very reminiscent of to me? When you see those pictures of McVeigh at Waco protesting and he's selling bumper stickers that have swastikas on them and pro-gun messages. It reminds me of when uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was handing out uh, pro Castro or anti Castro leaflets, anti Castro things, yeah. yeah. But I think then later um, he was pro Castro on TV, but he was handing out anti Castro leaflets. Well, it's and like McVeigh he's, had he's, done this stuff. Well, McVeigh had done this stuff before, where he was like reprimanded. I think when he was still in the army for uh, pointing out that how come these guys can wear shirts that say Black Power, but if I wear one that says White Power, then you know he gets called out for it. So right, it kind of yeah. makes you wonder: is he is he was he doing this just almost almost as a LARP, um, or was he? easily talked into it or did he really believe it yeah it's it's hard to tell it's the same thing with oswald like the mo is uh and then and then you get in also into the uh the weirdness of multiple it's not as solid evidence as it is with oswald where there's multiple oswalds popping up but even with mcveigh the there's different people seeing him and the sketches don't even look at all like the same guy like the police sketches or artist sketches they have it's just like, were there multiple people posing as McVeigh? Like the McVeigh that rented the rider truck, was that like a different McVeigh? By the way, I did find, the, so I'm looking at the photo of him selling these bumper stickers, four for $5. Uh, so one says, ban guns, make the streets safe for a government takeover. <laughs> uh, what's, I, can't, I can't read what this one says, but one has a hammer and sickle on it too, so. Yeah, I th- isn't there one that has the swastika and the hammer and sickle? It has a sw- yeah, it's a swastika and the hammer and sickle. Yeah, so it might not even be a pro if you can read what it says. I don't. I couldn't read it in the picture I saw, but it might be saying that like it was the communists and the Nazis that took the guns. Commie Nazis. Yeah, so he might be. It it might be just pointing out that fascists and communists take guns. It might not be a pro. Uh, something to. something government control is what it says. Uh, I'll have to see if I can find. That. I don't know. Zoom enhance. Yeah. Zoom rotate enhance. Uh, let's let's go back. I want to revisit the uh, John Doe number two thing while we're on it. Well, we, uh, before we get too far off, because I got I can only do so much PBS at a time. Like I said, the uh, the Attorney General at the time, Janet Reno, uh, fine fine upstanding individual. Yeah, she does a press conference on it, uh, saying that John Doe number two is still at large. Director Free and I have just spoken with the president. And I am pleased to announce that one of the individuals believed to be responsible for Wednesday's terrible attack on the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City has been arrested. Timothy McVeigh, age 27, who we previously called John Doe No. 1, the man with the light brown crew cut, was arrested by local authorities on a traffic violation 
about 60 miles from Oklahoma City on Wednesday morning, about Good. an hour and a half after the explosion occurred. At the time of his arrest, he was in the possession of a firearm. He has mm. been in the local jail since the arrest. He will be taken into custody by the FBI. Searches are being planned and executed at several locations around the country this afternoon. I remind everyone that John Doe number two remains at large. He should be considered armed and extremely dangerous. There is a strong likelihood that other persons are involved in this tragedy as well. Everybody knows that that, I mean, so there's Janet Reno, and then I have a clip. Did you, do you remember the press conference she did with Bill Clinton Not uh, about a year after that? Well, which one? I mean, uh, I'm here today to address speculation as to why no independent counsel has been appointed to investigate alleged illegal fundraising by the Democratic National Committee. It was this one. Def, uh, definitely not Saturday Night Live or anything. Let me just say that the Attorney General has concluded that no ethical violations were committed that would warrant this yes, kind of like investigation. It is. <laughs> now, yeah. before I take your questions, bear in mind, I still have to use crutches when I walk. <laughs> See, I mean, it's kind of a tough thing. <laughs> Yes. Mr. President, today is the anniversary of both the Waco incident and the Oklahoma City bombing. Meanwhile, there are reports of new threats from militia groups. What is Attorney General Janet Reno doing to protect the American people? Let me just say the Attorney General has placed the federal government on full state of alert. And don't worry, Janet Reno has got this under control. Will Ferrell bursts through the door as Janet Reno. It's kind of uh, good lord. I did not. I mean, this was. I've obviously I wasn't alive, at least not old enough to watch SNL when all this was going on. But I I had gone back and seen a, a bunch of '90s SNL. I did not remember Will Ferrell playing Janet Reno at all. That's uh, that was news to me. Do you remember that? Uh, vaguely. I mean, I, I vaguely can recall that, but that's. That kind of goes to the, the the constant ribbing of the federal government that was that was just kind of openly accepted then. Whereas yeah, now I mean, now they just it's they spend their their time bootlicking. They they bring, I don't like I don't have the full thing, but they even bring up the uh, was it Whitewater or whatever it was called, mm-hmm. uh, where and and uh, like the Iran Contra Arkansas drug smuggling and stuff like SNL was touching that at the time Clinton was president, which is kind of incredible. Yeah, go back and watch the when Norm Macdonald was on uh, the Weekend Update. He would just throw that shit in there. Yeah. You wanted her, you got her. Now you're going to get the straight dope from the horse's mouth. It's Reno time. Okay, who wants a piece of Reno? You. Will Blitzer, CNN News. Mr. Reno is an appointee of an administration that's plagued with pending indictments. Hasn't the time come for you to remove yourself from the investigation? <laughs> it's kind of a, yeah, it's kind of just wild. Well, uh, the white, the, you kind of alluded to it at the start of the show, but the, uh, the Whitewater, or whatever it was called, one of the Clinton scandals where all those documents were housed was in the Murrow building, pending uh, litigation investigation. I don't recall that. Let me play it. I got to look that up. Day Thanks one, hour two of the bombing, 
The most significant event that happened is when they said they found other bombs in the building. The second most significant event was that they moved everybody back and held them back. There were still people alive trapped in the building, but they came in with two trucks and backed them up to the Murrah building, and a bunch of these uh, guys dressed in blue jackets with no letters on the back started taking boxes of files out and putting them on this truck. We were told uh, by a blonde uh, female agent that there were files so so uh, serious to the government that until the files were located there would not be any recovery effort. If you remember the Whitewater investigation in Arkansas, all the paperwork was stored in the Murrah building. They had FBI agents over in the fields to the west of the Murrah building picking up paper all, almost all day long. And it was during this time that uh, early in the investigation that I, I started receiving some various phone calls. Uh, one of them was a uh, phone call from Little Rock, Arkansas. The guy said that he was a federal agent. He was not an FBI agent. He was not uh, ATF. But what he did say was during their investigation of the Clintons uh, on the, all the drug running that went through Mena, Arkansas and, you know, Lassiter's Ranch and all of that stuff that was going on at the time during Iran-Contra, that those records, when, when uh, uh, Clinton went to Washington, were transferred from there to the Murrah building. Wow. That's, uh, if that's true, that's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty convenient that all that happened to me. Yeah, I'm, I don't recall that part, and I, I, looking that up, it's, it's hard to say whether or not that's accurate or not. I have to dig into it. Yeah, I, uh, it's, that's from, uh, just to give the source on that, that is from the documentary A Noble Lie. Uh, featuring because white, Whitewater was not like, was not like a you know a, a frazzle drip level sc- potential scandal. It was more of just like oh they they bought into this real estate company and they turned a profit and they turned around they didn't disclose it and they made an extra two hundred grand. Woo! Whereas now you've got people like openly in Congress um, uh, insider trading and making tens of millions of dollars on things. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how. I, I, you just, the only reason I get away with it, I guess, is media, right? And just lack of prosecution. I mean, because I remember it being a much bigger scandal, even in my lifetime, when something like that would come out. And now it's just every day, par for the course. course yeah, the it's pretty tame in comparison to this stuff we're, we're getting today. So it's, it's Whitewater, Whitewater Gate, and all that stuff is. But isn't that tied in with uh, the Mena, Arkansas stuff? Because I remember during Clinton's presidency mm, hearing about like the, the Mena, Arkansas stuff coming up like in, in the nineties. What? No, so Mena, Arkansas, you know, and the the open smuggling related to Iran Contra was them funneling drug money through, and Clinton, um, uh, as as governor of Arkansas at the time, kind of turning a blind eye to it, if not openly allowing it. I to go on. Well, there was people that uh, I thought there was people that testified that he, Clinton was getting like ten percent of the cut off all that money as governor. All that. Uh, uh, I'd, I'd have to dig me. into that. I did a cocaine episode a while back, and I remember there being a, a bunch of talk about that. Uh, I mean, it, it, even in a, even in a, what's that Tom Cruise movie? Uh, American something, American Made or whatever. Yeah, yeah, where he was where the he, pilot. He's like, very, I'm the very, deep, very the sealed, yeah. very he sealed. says, I'm going to be walking out of here. And then the governor, Bill Clinton, calls and they just the DEA has to let him go. And the sheriffs, because the governor calls yeah, and yeah. Goes to let him go. Uh, but my question is, like, let's if whatever those documents were, there's tons of witnesses saying people were pulling up in blue un, in uh, unmarked with no lettering, blue shirts and blue baseball caps, just 
two vans piling out, taking all kinds of documents, whatever was salvageable from the from the blast. Well, sure. I mean, if that was the if that was documents related to things like that. But to be fair, if it's a federal building and there's different federal offices in there, they need to go collect all that stuff anyway. So. Right, but you would think out. they'd have some kind of uh, insignia or some kind of, uh, what's it called? Yeah. You know, some something noting who they were or what agency they were with. Or, uh, They're at the Patriot Front. Yeah. But my, I, I kind of have a small theory here that the reason, assuming that's true, whatever kind of like, well, also just the removal of the cameras too is another thing. Uh, well, it wasn't I, removal. It was the, the the tapes weren't there at the time. Well, there's also there's also this. Let me jump back to uh, two, let me jump back to Jesse Trinity here. I obtained two declarations, which is like an affidavit used in federal court. One was from an Oklahoma City uh, police officer who had been on the. I guess it's a special detail that provides security to federal officials who come to Oklahoma. And as part of his responsibilities in that job, he had been taken through the Murrow Building shown the cameras, shown the recording systems off-site. They were recorded off-site. And he was also on scene immediately after the bombing, digging through the rubble trying to save people, when he said almost at gunpoint the FBI forces them out of the building, and he watches the FBI take down the cameras off the building. I mean, they, they put it was more important to them to seize those cameras than to save victims in the rubble. More important to the FBI. And he sat there and watched as they took those cameras down, and then they let them back in to do their their rescue operation. So that's interesting. Yeah, well, why would they take down the cameras? He just said the cameras weren't recorded there; they're recorded off site. The the file, the, the information, the, you know, the video recordings were not in the cameras. Well, maybe Fi- I, the files I, aren't in the computer. This is from a uh, Corbett James Corbett interview, and he asked that same question. And I'll, instead of telling you, I'll just let him. Uh, and let and let well and let, other, let me guess here was it was it because that that would then dissuade people from asking about video camera footage if they didn't see the cameras right they didn't want anybody to know that there were cameras there mm. that's at least that's his theory affidavit ahead was from a man who actually knew the system uh, he, what the camera showed where they would tape decks the recording decks were located and they were located two or three blocks away in another federal building that's where the recordings took place so yes those tapes were exist those tapes were never damaged so if the the footage is if the footage is being stored off-site then what is the point of taking the cameras down off the building unless it's to obscure the fact that there were cameras on the building itself it's to obscure the fact there were cameras on the building incredible absolutely incredible (laughs) i got that iso absolutely incredible yeah um man i love corbett he does some of the best work out there honestly right i can't think of a close second as far as his coverage of the oklahoma city bombing yeah, he's man, done several episodes on it just like real deep dives too he really? did one entirely on the background of of mcveigh just being this real sketchy character all the way through and through yeah he's really good but that canadian accent really bothers me say that <laughs> he's a nice guy he's great <laughs> uh but yeah so that brings us to okay so it what if getting going in to get documents going into you know have no evidence, uh, no no evidence of cameras or whatever could have been on other cameras, anything like that. It would make sense as to why stuff like this was going on. Let me see if I can find it here. Yeah, okay. So, 
Oops. Here we go. My bad. Let's take a look now, if we could. I understand we've just received videotape in a news conference held just a few moments ago at St. Anthony's Hospital. Okay. Doctor, can you tell us the situation? Uh, the situation at the present time is that we have treated uh, more than 56 injuries. Uh, there have been several more since last count. Um, at the present time, the medical teams downtown are unable to get into the wreckage to retrieve more of the injured because of the presence of other uh, bombs in the area. I've been told by the police department that just as soon as those bombs are defused, they will permit the medical teams to enter. And then once the medical teams enter, we expect quite a large number of rather badly injured individuals being brought here. So what if the all those reports of additional bombs that were being found was actually bullshit and it was only... To keep people out of there? To keep people out of there while they were cleaning up. To keep all the rescue oh, workers out, the firefighters out, the cops that shouldn't have been oh, there. Oh, okay. I thought you meant the public. Because um, if, it's, if it's to keep the public away, then yeah, that'd be, that would make sense for them to put down a cord and say, okay, you got three or four blocks away, stay away sort of thing. There's other but they're blocks, not even but, letting rescue workers or firefighters yeah. in. Could be. So that I didn't think about this till actually like yesterday. I was like, what if a lot, yeah, what if these bombs that never got found were just, was just a complete cover to get... All everything they needed taken care of, the cameras taken down, the documents taken out, and this is kind of a dark thought. But what if it was even like another excuse to let more people die in there? Because the more people that survive in that blast is the more witnesses you have of, hey, this isn't how it happened. Oh, so, that, yeah, that is, that is dark. Um, so you're like, oh, I got a live one over here. Let me just smother them with a pillow. Yeah, ah. I mean, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them, man. If you're willing to bomb a freaking daycare. Um, so yeah, uh, and it, I, it just goes on. There's, so that's just my, um, my take, but let me just try to back that up with a couple more clips. here. Again, you're looking at obviously aerial pictures from chapter four. They kept us out for a while because of obvious reasons. And we respect their demands on that. So he's they're not letting the news in for obvious reasons. We respect obvious their demands. Reasons. We respect their demands on that though. Clearly. Never mind the fact they'll just, you know, nine 11, a few years later, they're just flying right over there. Right. <laughs> And here's uh, from also from Channel 4, Day Of. Make things uh, far more difficult, unfortunately, on the firefighters down there because, as we've told you on a couple of occasions now, they are really only just now beginning, thanks to the big, uh, I guess it was about an hour and a half delay or so, uh, while they were worried about the second and third devices that they had found. Uh, they are really only now starting to uh, really get full force into the rescue. A 90-minute delay because of the uh, supposed bombs they were finding? That's 90 minutes. That's a long time. That's like almost twice. That's longer than you. the Uvalde cops waited outside that they're not letting rescue get in there. Well, that was 71 minutes, something like that. Yeah. I don't remember, but um, well, but if they're if they're under the so let's let's look at both sides of it. If they're above board and they say there's other bombs, we don't know. Mm-hmm. There could be other devices at that point. You know, the, right afterwards, they probably didn't know it was a. A truck bomb or something, you know, it's hard to say. Keep in mind, this was only two years after the uh, World Trade Center bombing. Um, But if there could be other bombs, they don't want people in there digging around in the rubble lest they set off other bombs. But then to your point about the the conspiratorial angle, they they either have uh, stuff they need to make sure has been destroyed appropriately or... Uh, they need to make sure that some of the survivors or the targets or whatever you're going to call it didn't survive. Mm-hmm. So, either way. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, here, let me 
and search operation going all through all nine floors of the building uh, that are above ground, four floors of parking garages that are below. You talk about uh, the second bomb that was found. Uh, Devin told us earlier we got information that the second and third bomb were bigger than the one that was detonated, 1,200 pounds of explosives in that first one that went off. The second and third devices that were found were actually larger than that, so you can imagine what that would have been like. And I've, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to admit that this is completely speculative on my part, but I had just kind of had this aha moment yesterday when I was going back through these like old, like old clips and everything. And I'm thinking like, cause I don't know. My initial reaction was like, Oh, they were lying about how many bombs were in the building. But now I'm thinking that could have been just complete horseshit. Um, horseshit that there were more bombs just to keep people out or that they, it's odd that these stories came up early on that there were three bombs very specifically um, and to your, to your point you had the, the stories of the guys who said they even recovered some to go take them apart and see who made them mm -hmm. but then that never came up again and we went, rolled back to no it was a single guy in a single truck uh, with his fertilizer it's so yeah I, I don't know I don't, I don't even have like a strong opinion either way because both ideas are fascinated in their own regard uh but then it gets <laughs> uh did I lose this how did I lose? oh here we go yeah this is been about this is from also from channel four same day it's been about five hours now since that first explosion occurred almost five hours exactly uh you probably if you were in bed at the time that it uh, rattled you around you looked at the alarm clock you'll remember the time and you will certainly now remember april 19th 1995 but five hours since, and uh, because of these renewed concerns about new devices, five hours in, they are still really not able to get the uh, rescue effort into full swing. I mean, that's kind of... Five hours? Dude, well, on 9-11, they had rescue workers on 9-11 throughout those whole buildings, even after the first well, they, tower collapse. They had, mm, I'm not sure about that. They had people in there when it was on fire because there's footage from the from uh, firemen who were inside with those French filmmakers when it was on fire. I think once the, the they both once the first one came down, they just pulled everyone out and said, "Fuck this shit." So, oh, I thought the second, I thought the second build, uh, maybe you're right. Mm, I don't think there was anybody in anybody actively trying to uh, do because remember early on 9/11, uh, it was it was just a building fire. Um, right, right, right. Because right. there there wasn't even footage of that first plane hitting that one, uh, hitting the tower until weeks later sort of thing when those filmmakers, because they caught that first one. The second one everyone saw. Yeah. But it was initially just, it was a building on fire, and so there, there was fire and rescue in there, which is why it was like 300-some fire and, and police were killed, uh, because they were in the buildings um, trying to affect a fire rescue. Not I think, the, the, I think once, it, once it came down, they just were like, fuck it, pull everyone back. Now that you say that, I think you're... Correct, because I, I might be mis I'm probably misremembering. Except that. for Building Seven, where the fire chief was the one who famously said, "Pull it." Yeah, and Larry Silverstein, the owner. But uh, we had to cash in on that. Got two. <laughs> Go uh, for two. So yeah, I don't. I, but just five hours just seems like it. Just seems like an. Ins you're not even trying at that point. Well, right, which raises questions. It's like, okay, it's been five hours. Are there more bombs or not? Or is there another reason you're keeping people out of there? Yeah, it's just very. That's just very bizarre to me. Because when I first heard ninety minutes, I'm like, well, that seems like a long time for you to be keeping rescue workers and firemen out. But then five hours is like, what in the world? <laughs> wow. Uh, man, I don't. 
I don't know. I got a bunch of stuff that I'll just kind of tease for uh, for next time about uh, Terry Yiki. Is it Yiki? How do you say his name? Terry Nichols? What? Uh, Terrence Yiki. I think you sent me some stuff on him, actually, on the Discord. Oh, the the police officer. Yeah. Another that guy who was being was being chased by the feds till he committed suicide in his car without a gun. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then he crawled. He crawled. Uh, crawled, a, crawled a mile or something. Yeah, mile and a half onto federal property and shot himself in the head, in the back of the head, with no gun. With no gun. Yes. Uh, I, I just I'll just give a teaser from AM thirteen hundred with uh, Terry's wife. These two guys are interviewing her just for, to kind of see what you'll be in for next episode. If you if anybody's planning on listening to that one, this is what you're gonna be in for. AM thirteen hundred. This is them yucking it up with. We're talking with Tanya Yankee. Her husband, Terry Yankee, was on the Oklahoma City Police Department, and as I understand it, Tanya, you tell me if I'm wrong, he was the first Oklahoma City police officer in the building after the explosion. Within, what do you say? A minute. Within a minute. Within a minute after the explosion. He turned up dead in a field outside of Oklahoma City. Uh, what part? A year later. Well, two and a half miles west of El Reno Reformatory is what the death certificate says. Okay. Now, Craig, go ahead. Hey. Okay, now Craig Roberts is with us, by the way. No, I'm not. You're not? No, I'm never here. He's on tape. I am. I am uh, uh, Joe Schmuckatelli, and I, I, uh, I work for Ken Rank. I, I, I guard his house when he makes phone calls to Arkansas. You're making me feel awfully vulnerable here. And good, because everybody needs to be a little bit paranoid, Ken. All right. No one can say we don't have a sense of humor around here at uh, KGB headquarters. You know. So bizarre. Yeah, it's just weird for him to be. He works for Ken Schmuckatelli. Just odd. Everything about that was everything about that was weird because you have the wife of a, a recently widowed woman who's on there to tell the story about how her husband was murdered by the feds, and this is like it's something that had recently happened. You know, in the like six months. I think this interview was about six to eight months after he died. If my timeline's right on that, it's just kind of weird to be like. <laughs> I guess that's radio guys for you. They're just like yucking it up, like <laughs> very weird. But yeah, that'll. I have a bunch of clips from that interview for next show that are are just absolutely. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but there's stuff I didn't know. Like she, her, her phones were being tapped even after uh, her husband's ex husband's death. They would. Play. Well, yeah, and famously, his la- his last words were, "As soon as I shake these feds or something." Yeah, and they would play messages. Back to, as soon as she questioned the police department about how he died. She started getting followed all the time, and she would get voicemails of messages from of her talking back on her voicemail. Not just oh, her phone calls that we're, being recorded. We're listening to you, yeah, yeah. Not just her phone calls being recorded and played back to her on voicemail, but she would get voicemails of conversations she had had out in public, not anywhere near her house, that she didn't know she was being listened to. Well, and, and keep in mind, this, this was in the this was in the mid nineties, and then it was. When was the um, when they come out the the NSA was tapping everyone's phones? Is that late two thousand well, late two thousands or uh, with Snowden? You mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think when that was two thousand nine something. Like I that. think it was during um, Obama. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying that was like fifteen years later. But these were the older phone systems where it was analog too, so they could just bring up all that shit. So that stuff you pick up that receiver, especially the ones the old school phones that were powered by mm-hmm. the phone line. You pick that up; those mics are live. So if she's just listening to voicemail, then yeah, they can just record all that crap because that's it's functionally a, a live phone call at that point to the uh, 
um, to the switching assembly, the nearest uh, phone switch. So Right. But her claim is it was beyond that. It got worse where she, like a conversation she would have at the Walmart or at a public park that she it would be played back to her on her voicemail. Oh, yeah. We got people following her. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Mm. I mean, she literally said they were following her. All her tires would be slashed. But yeah, we'll I'll get into that more next time because that is a whole that uh, the Terry uh, Terry Yuki, uh, whole thing is something that is it needs a whole a slot of time dedicated to it because the death of that guy and what he was trying to do uh, seemingly or uh, what his ex-wife especially claims he was trying to do is very ter- it's like terrifying on a whole nother level what his <laughs> his ex-wife went through and what she describes on this radio radio interview. Well, and again, it's another another one of those oddball circumstances where he he dies as a suicide, shooting himself in a car with no gun, but his wrists were also slashed, and it was you know, rope burns very on his legs, ankles. Yeah, very strange. Yeah, yeah, they don't they don't play around. Um, yeah, I'll uh, I guess I think we can I think we can about call it here. I, I've got I've gotten through about a third of my material, so <laughs> we've got two thirds <laughs> left. Uh. And uh, like I said, Sir Wes of Beer, Bourbon, and Boulder Dash will be joining me next week for part two of this. So we'll we'll go into it further. Cool. Did you have any other uh, anything else? Any any parting thoughts? I mean, there's so there's so many different rabbit holes. I was gonna say, yeah, I've got go stuff to. all over the place here. I mean, we, we didn't get into the the um, uh, we didn't get into uh, um, Terry Nichols at all, helping him potentially build the bomb, or the it was the name of the couple. I can't now. I can't remember their name. Damn it, um, who were were assisting with this stuff, and you know. Uh, McVeigh's kind of sketchy background and his claims of being a paid assassin for the CIA and it just it it just gets weirder and weirder the the deeper and deeper you dig. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean we can cover anything else you want. We got a half hour if you want, so or we can call it there. I got uh, like I said, I got. Oh, there actually, you know what? Uh, Sir West did send me an article from CNN, and I should have sent this to you. Is it the Terry Yiki one? Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, See, I sent you that one. Oh, you both sent it to me then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was from it's from this year too. So again, it's that's strange that that's what's that's what yeah that's what caught my eye more than anything is like why now? Yeah, because it's not like it's the thirtieth anniversary or something like that. They were, they were two years away. It's twenty eight, and it wasn't even on the day. So it was March of this year. So just an odd an odd time to release this really in depth article that they created about Terry Yiki. Yeah, it's and it's. I mean, it's very detailed, very lengthy. And like you said, why why now? Why 2023? I mean, I know CNN has new ownership, right? It's You know, they just had Trump on for a town hall. But this is st- even for, I don't know. I just don't know what to make of it. And I read most of the thing. And it's pretty, I don't know. What do you, what's your take? Like, why do you have a theory on as to why CNN? I, I don't know. No, I, I cannot figure out why, why now? This just seems very, very strange that this, unless it was already in the can, it was one that they had just written for something else, mm-hmm. um, for the you know for the twenty fifth or something or, or or what. But why that would come up as a um, as an article in in twenty twenty three in March of twenty twenty three? It's not an anniversary either of Oklahoma City or of Terry Yuki's killing. I mean, sorry, his suicide. Yeah. It's so it's so weird. Yeah, I I that's. Um... I'll put that article in the show notes for this one too, so people can check that out. Because that's yeah, a that's weird I mean, it's, it's it's a good link in there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I guess. Uh. Well, unless you got anything else, uh, just 
Plug OBDM, the best podcast on the No Agenda stream now. I've already come out of the closet with Joe and said it's better than No Agenda now. So. <gasps> I, I did hear somebody refer to it as the second best podcast in the universe. As the, uh, what was that, the the, the two T-B-I-T-U, T-B, T-B-I-T-U, so two to BITU, whatever, the second best podcast in the universe. Um, so, yeah, um, OBDM, uh, Our Big Dumb Mouth. Uh, we do live shows on Wednesdays and Saturdays, Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern, Saturdays, noon Eastern. Um, OBDM Pod or Our Big Dumb Mouth or my favorite redirect, factcheckgov.com. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Factcheckgov.com. And I think so, yeah, I got you- the domain. Uh, I took Bigfoot'sVirginity.com, maybe was one of them. I have to <laughs> check on it. Or Bigfoot took uh, my yeah, no, we, it's we, Bigfoot took my virginity Bigfoot took my virginity. Um, that's great. Um, no, uh, OBDM uh, Midnight Mike has been doing this show longer than than No Agenda. Uh, so we're, we're coming up on episode eleven eleven. So we don't have quite as many episodes in the can as, as No Agenda. I've only been on about mm, four or five hundred episodes. I'm not one hundred percent sure actually how many episodes I've done. Maybe I've been on there for a while by the time I found the show. That's- <laughs> Um, when I first yeah, it, started listening, Joe was gone. So Joe was like a, this new guy that came, showed up. Yeah, Joe Joe is a mercurial individual, and he comes and goes as he pleases, depending on, on what he's got going on. So let's see. I was I was producing in the 700s, and then I uh, was live on the show in... No, I was live in the 700s, producing in the 600s. Anyway, so call it 400 shows. It's not quite that many. Three, 400 shows I've been doing with them, but... Um, no, it's a lot of fun. We cover conspiracy, paranormal, uh, goofball news. Um, we're all over the place. So, uh, but we it's it, it's a, it, we do live. It's video. So those of you on uh, and we do stream to no agenda stream on Wednesday nights. Um, Saturday, I believe. Is it Saturday? It's Saturday. Saturday. Okay. Because Wednesday nights are some other show which has right. not been around as long as us who takes that spot. Yep. Yeah. With Bill Gates and his friends. If I, recall. I think that's the, I think that's the Bill Gates show. It's yeah. It's that's uh, that would be rare encounter. You know they um, rare encounters with they with started Bill Gates. they started after me. That's how that's how new their show is. But they do a good show too. But yeah, no, I I did I was serious when I showed, told Joe that I was like, uh, OBDM is now officially the best the best show on the No Agenda stream. Uh, if No Agenda adopted the uh, once a month um, drawbridge of donations model, I might switch them back into the top <laughs> slot, but. I like the donations. I think the donation segment on, on no agenda. There's there's good stuff in there. There is good stuff. I do appreciate how they when they now are referencing things, they will then bring up an actual clip that they'll play during the donation segment and like never mention it again. That's yeah, I, I do the, yeah, just to just to give a little more for the people that actually listen through the whole thing. Yep. Yep. Um but yeah, join us uh our big dumb mouth, OBDM pod or uh yeah, obdmpod.com or uh factcheckgov.com. My brain isn't fucking working. Uh, well, that's, uh, yeah, opdmpod.com. Thanks, Cretchen. And uh, you're welcome. If you're not doing anything, just twiddling your thumbs, welcome to join in on the next one. I know uh, there'll be a lot more to talk about. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Uh, actually, be happy to. Give me a heads up a few days before so I can rearrange things on, in my schedule. But, um, yeah, I think it'd be fun to just ride ride third chair on that one. Cool. Well, thanks, man. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And, uh I'll play us and uh, I'll let you go, crash it, and I'll play us out with uh, just a couple little, uh, little, couple little clips. One from that Corbett interview, and uh, and uh, we'll oh pick oh, it up you know what we should week. do? Oh. I don't know. Is it going to inflame the, uh, the the James Corbett fans? Because again, James Corbett Corbett Report does great work. 
Uh, he's got that four-minute version covering this whole thing. I don't know if you, do you want to play part of that or do I was going to put the whole point? thing at the end? Yeah, I can okay, play. Yeah, it. That, I see, that's a great that's a great clip. Um, it, it's he did a similar one for nine eleven too, which is also fantastic. Yeah, he has some. Uh, he's like I said, if he wasn't Canadian, he'd probably be the greatest <laughs> human being to ever live. Oh, come on, he lives in the sunny climes of Western Japan. He's a great guy. Oh yeah, yeah. That's okay. I forgive him now. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah, we'll go. F- uh, now that you put me on the spot, I gotta find it. But yeah, here it is. Ah, here we go. All right. On the morning of April 19, 1995, a decorated Gulf War combat vet blew up the federal building in Oklahoma City using a truck bomb that he didn't build and a rider truck that he didn't rent with the help of a passenger who didn't exist. Having just gotten away with the largest act of terrorism on U.S. soil to date, the Fort Bragg-trained Special Forces Sheep Drip dropout blended in with the crowd by making his getaway in a car without a license plate and was immediately pulled over. The ATF was the supposed target of the attack, but luckily all of their agents were out of the office that morning. Later that day, the president boldly declared, We will find the people who did this. And when we do, justice will be swift, certain, and severe. Except for John Doe number two. John Doe number two. John Doe number two. Who, according to the FBI, never existed. In McVeigh's unprecedented three and a half week trial, the prosecution didn't show the CCTV footage of him and John Doe number two parking the rider truck. Didn't explain why 24 separate witnesses mass hallucinated the existence of John Doe number two didn't explain why the government was testing truck bombs and the army was storing rider trucks at Camp Gruber right before the bombing, and didn't talk to the FBI informants who blew the whistle on the plot. But they did collaborate with the CIA, and they did convict McVeigh as the lone wolf bomber and Terry Nichols as his bomb-constructing accomplice. Still, a bunch of crazy conspiracy theorists, including 300 bombing victims, insist on talking about facts and evidence and refuse to simply believe what they've been told a million times by people in tailored suits with well-coiffed hair. They quote the U.S. Army Brigadier General and the FBI Crime Lab whistleblower and the inventor of the neutron bomb who point out the physical impossibility that the Ryder truck bomb did the damage to the building, but that doesn't matter because if there were other bombs in the building that day, we would have heard about them. The second explosive was found and diffused. I think he said another bomb. The Justice Department is reporting that a second explosive device has been found. They then found a third device, which was also larger than the first. And I see another bomb truck going, so apparently they're going to try to get out that third bomb. The FBI claims to have lost the footage showing McVeigh and John Doe number 2, parking the truck in front of the Murrah building that morning, but that's understandable because the Bureau has a lot of important evidence to store. Terry Nichols insists the FBI was involved in the plot, but thankfully a judge has saved us the trouble of listening to him by preventing lawyers from deposing him. There was a bomb squad truck parked across the street two hours before the blast, but that just shows the authorities were prepared for anything. And... Other documents obtained by 2020 show that someone called the executive secretariat's office at the Justice Department in Washington and said the Morrow building had been bombed. But this was 24 minutes before the blast. But that just shows the public was unusually vigilant that morning. Also, apparently, before the bombing, Governor Frank Keating's brother, Mark, had been working on a novel about a terrorist bombing in Oklahoma City. Stranger still, one of the characters in the novel was named Thomas McVeigh. I, I, I don't know if you're still here, but I have to pause it just because what the hell is that? that no, you can, you can find that book on, on Amazon. Uh, I was actually just looking at that um, to see if, they, if anybody called that part out of it. But um, the heck is the name of that book? It's called like the something jihad. His name's Thomas McVeigh uh, instead of Timothy. <laughs> well, the character, it's spelled differently too, but um, 
Oh, what the heck is the name of that book here? I just had it. Damn it. Sorry. What the heck's going on around uh, here? It's called The Final Jihad, When the Best of the Worst Finally Come for Us. Sounds like a South Park episode. Uh, 1996. So it was, le- it was just over a year after the um, uh, after Oklahoma City, but... But he had already just been writing it before it, right? Isn't that what the well, news report just hopefully. said? Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, it was it was in the in the works as the governor's brother. Go, bro. But that's probably just a coincidence. McVeigh wrote a letter to his sister where he admitted to being a secret special forces operative, and he complained to friends of the pain in his ass from an army-implanted microchip. McVeigh was not executed on May 16, 2001, as scheduled because... The FBI had failed to turn over thousands of pages of evidence to McVeigh's defense attorneys. But the execution went ahead on June 11th. In a highly unusual and secret agreement, no autopsy was performed. One witness said he was still breathing, and the prison officials admitted his hearse was a decoy. Then, the case was officially closed. And if you question any part of this story, you are a paranoid, wingnut, birther, truther, tenther, prepper, conspiracy loon who should feel guilty for having been born. If you love baseball, fluffy kittens, hot dogs, Barbie, Star Wars, and freedom, you will never, ever bring up any of these points ever again. Ever. This message has been brought to you by the friends of the FBI, ATF, DOJ, CIA, SPLC, MSM, and the U.S. Army. And remember, ignorance is strength. What a national treasure, that Corbett guy. I take what I I take what I said back about him being Canadian, or sounding like he's Canadian. Yeah, I don't know. Is a, is a Canadian living in Japan, can we call him a national treasure? No, he's a, he's a good guy, does good work, really well-researched. Fantastically documented. So, yeah, just go go to his website, Corporate Report. I think it's just CorporateReport.com, I believe. Yep, CorporateReport.com. Uh, and and look, up, um, look up uh, Oklahoma City or just Oklahoma. There's all, he's got like three or four episodes on this, uh, like just deep, deep, deep into this stuff. So And, and full-on interviews with uh, like the, uh, I think a lot of those clips of, uh, not all of them, but a lot of those clips of Jesse Trinidu, the attorney, were from uh, a one-on-one interview he did with Corbett. Mm. So. That's great. Yeah, he's does good stuff. But thanks, Gretchen. OBDMPod.com. Y'all be live tomorrow night, I assume, 7 p.m. Eastern. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, early spoiler, no show on Saturday. Uh, conflict's coming up there, but uh, oh. we'll figure it out. So, sorry. <sighs> I, you're working then anyway, so what do you think? <sighs> yeah, probably, but I still, I still, <laughs> sometimes I, I, not sometimes, on a weekly basis, I subject my coworkers, if they're in the car with me, to OBDM, so... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, uh appreciate have a that good show. um i'll see you yeah i'll i'll you know what I'll, i might see you next week if not i'll uh just harass you with with memes like i usually do sounds like a plan either way all right have a good night Gretchen. thanks cool. everybody for listening thanks, chris Fuck the internet. well i was leaked um, a government document that said surveillance cameras show the truck bomb detonating three minutes and six seconds after the suspects exited the vehicle. Now, that's significant for a whole bunch of reasons. First, they had cameras that actually showed the truck being driven up to the Murrow Building Park and the people getting out. Well, the the FBI says there was only one person in that truck, and that was Tim McVeigh. Well, there was more than one person in that truck, and the other person was probably an informant. You would think that tape would have been Exhibit 1 in the McVeigh murder trial. No one's ever seen it but the government. So I filed a Freedom of Information Act request, and I asked for this. I said, I want the surveillance tapes from the exterior cameras on these buildings leading on the route leading up to the murder building. So whichever 
so the route McVeigh took that morning, these tapes were shown in that truck and who was in it with him. And I said, I also want the surveillance tapes from the Alpha P. Murrow building. There were two cameras on the outside of that building. They would have clearly shown who was with McVeigh in that truck. Well, the FBI produces 26 tapes from the other buildings, not the Murrow building. And these tapes, at strategic moments, go blank. And not all at the same time, but it's, you know, the building furthest away goes blank for a few seconds, the tape does. The tape from the next building goes blank a little while afterwards for a few seconds, and, and so on, leading up to the Merle building. So that the moment that truck was being driven by, these tapes mysteriously go blank. And the FBI says, well, that's because the tapes were being recycled or changed. Or, that was, I think that was their excuse. All 26 tapes were being changed or recycled literally within about a three-minute period between 8.58 and 9.02 on the morning of April 19, 1995. All 26 tapes were being changed or recycled literally within about a three-minute period between 8.58 and 9.02 on the morning of April 19, 1995. But they don't give me the Murrow building tapes. And so I go to the court to get the Murrow building tapes and... There will be a hearing in federal court here in Salt Lake City on May 11, 2011, over those tapes. And the FBI's response has been to the court that we've looked real, real hard, Your Honor, but by God, we can't find those tapes. My family will never get justice for my brother's murder. That'll never happen. The government will never prosecute anybody because it runs the risk of the minute it prosecutes somebody, the whole story, ugly story, erupting. But what I can do and there's, there's no noble. I mean, uh, I didn't I didn't start out to, to solve the Oklahoma City bombing. I started out to find out what happened to my brother, and every lead took me to the bombing. And, but back on the point of justice of why I do this, I do it for no other reason than to, I guess, embarrass the government. Is the only justice we'll get is to humiliate and expose the federal government for the, the corrupt entity that it apparently has become, especially the FBI. There's nothing noble in that, and, and I don't want your audience to think that there's anything noble in me. I was a hillbilly. Um, if people know Southern Mountain people, their culture is when you kill one of us, you better kill us all back to third cousins because sooner or later, if you leave one of us alive, we're going to get you. And I'll get them. I'll never get justice, but I sure as hell hurt them. I'll hurt their reputations. I'll hurt their image. And I like to think I've done that now. And at least there's some indication I've done it. They, some of them, when I deal with the federal government, it's never the local U.S. attorneys anymore. They brought out the, the U.S. attorneys I deal with are brought out the main justice of Washington D.C. And as a, as a humorous aside, one. They referred to me as Jesse Bin Laden. And I said I didn't think that was fair because I said there's no way that son of a bitch hates you more than I do. <laughs>